Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, standing alongside, because we're standing now, we my are. co-founder here at Focus Compounding, Mr. Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. We are trying out a new setup. Bear with us. I think it looks good, but we are going to dedicate a couple podcasts to making the content look great. Yep. Um, but we are uh, definitely excited to uh, be here today, and we are going to be in New York, November 11th through the 15th. And it's filling up fast. So if you want to meet up with Mr. Jeff and myself, uh, have a cup of coffee if you're a prospective investor and talk about uh, the new fund that we're launching, just our money management services in general, reach out to us at info at focuscompounding.com. Um, you know, we would love to meet up with you. So in today's video, we're going to be going over questions that people had asked of us from Twitter. Um, follow me on Twitter. That's at Focus Compound if you want to ask questions in the future. Um, and the first question and probably the most popular question we get, so I figure we should just come out right away and, and right. you know, just get it over with is what are your thoughts on NACO's earnings? Um, I thought so NACO stock was down a lot after earnings. Um, my thought on on earnings are that uh, they're about what I expected, not a lot different. Um, I focus mostly on the outlook for yeah. 2020. Um, there's a lot more CapEx than some people might expect, and royalties were probably lower than some people might expect. Um, those were the things that I cared the most about, those two items. Yeah. Uh, and You know what was the most interesting thing about their earnings was they probably give um, pretty spot on guidance, like a lot yeah. better than other co companies mm -hmm. do. So when they came out with their earnings and everything, I mean, we knew that they were going to spend a lot f in CapEx for um, like the new mine and everything right. like that. So, I mean, everything that they said, I think was pretty much everything that they've guided in the past. So it's not like there should have been any sort of like, there wasn't some sort of um, surprise, I guess you could say. Yeah. I mean, the stock may be down a lot, mostly on royalties because uh, natural gas wells uh, declined pretty rapidly and yep. natural gas prices were lower. And they, I'm sure for their guidance, use natural gas prices, the current price. Yeah. And, and what's the price of natural gas since the end of uh, Q3? It's uh, uh, up like oh, 20 plus up percent. Bit, yeah. You know, so yeah. I thought that was um, kind of interesting. But overall, obviously, we still like the company. We still like the company. We don't feel a lot differently about it. No. Um, the, so the stock declined a little bit, uh, a lot. Yeah. And um, that makes it more attractive to us because of that. Um, Definitely. In terms of the earnings, they weren't a lot different than we expected. No. And it's still a $350 million company, right? Uh, yeah. And, uh, and they should do, they have about $100 million in cash. Yeah. Um, so that's enterprise value of, call it 250. They yeah. should do anywhere from, what, 40 to $50 million in EBITDA next year. Yeah. Pretty conservative. I mean, the, they don't guide for EBITDA specifically, but if you read between the lines, I don't see how they could have less than $40 million and, and match what they said they were going to do. Yeah. Um, people should probably listen to the earnings call. Yeah. Because uh, someone asks a few questions that's on That's right. That was me. The, the only questions on it are Andrew. Andrew asks three questions yes. on management, and that's the only person on the call. Yeah. Yep. So it's still a, a, a good business that we like. Uh, I think what was interesting was his emphasis on them being a service business. Yeah. You talked about Thacker Pass. The yeah. Lithium mine, yeah. Yeah. And how he really thinks of it, them as a service company and their thoughts on return on equity and return on tangible equity. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But again, it's still 
a good business we like trading at about like what four to five times EBITDA, EBITDA. so incredibly cheap so cool next question uh deferred revenue and working capital is a sign of competitive advantage or bargaining power what are your thoughts on that yeah well it is a sign of bargaining power um obviously that's you know uh getting your customers to pay you in advance or um to be paid very uh to pay slowly to your suppliers and things like that is obviously a sign of bargaining power so um it, it is it's an issue in in companies that don't have a lot of bargaining power that that's one of the problems that you have is a need to have a lot of uh, capital in there yeah um and it uh, the one thing that i caution though is that some business models just have high returns on capital because that's the you know how it works in that industry yeah and so i do caution people that it doesn't necessarily mean there's a moat there are some companies that have very high returns on capital because of deferred revenue and because of negative working capital cycles and things like that it doesn't necessarily mean they have a moat it just means that they're collecting payments ahead of time or paying suppliers slowly or you know any. Of those yeah but don't you look at that as something that could be a good sign it is a good sign. It's a, it is a sign of bargaining power. I mean, yeah. uh, being able to pay slower and um, being able to collect faster are, are signs of uh, bargaining power, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Got it. Um, somebody asked, I think this is an, another pretty common question that we get asked. It says, will you ever invest in large companies that aren't overlooked and no. stays a panic is what you're saying. So right. like last Christmas, for example, I think the market sold off peak the trough. I don't even know what it was pretty significantly. Yeah. And he's asking if we would ever feel comfortable enough to buy um, a large company that's not overlooked. And, and that's the biggest argument that always people always say to us as if we're trying to argue with them when we're right. not <laughs> is, well, you're pretty much saying that Apple can't become overlooked or you're saying that a company like uh, or uh, I'm sorry, undervalued, undervalued because it's yeah. not an overlooked company or we're saying that Microsoft can't become undervalued because it's not an overlooked company, at least by our standards. Right. And obviously that's not what we're saying at no. all. It's just sort of this style, I guess you could say, that we're you know trying to employ as investors. Yeah, so there's two answers. One, in terms of our um, approach to managing money, the managed accounts and the fund, no, we will not um, own things that aren't overlooked. So yeah. that, that's just not going to happen. We have in the presentation that you can see on Andrew's Twitter, at Focus Compound, that um, you have, uh, that, you know, it shows... Um, uh, that we're not going to uh, own things outside of that. So personally, that means we will be investing in overlooked stocks because we're investing in the same things as uh, clients are. Yeah. But for individual people uh, listening to this, yeah, you can buy uh, stocks that aren't overlooked. It's a strategy that we do specifically. I think it's a good strategy, but there are moments of panic and things like that where I think big stocks are very attractive. Yeah, totally. Um, how do you both carry out a reverse DCF analysis? And I think that's yeah. because we've, I think, I don't know if this question is coming from the fact in the, one of the most recent or a recent podcast, we were talking about thinking about valuation from a reverse DCF perspective. Right. Um, that being said, though, we don't do reverse DCFs, right. but we kind of think about it. We kind of invert, and that's the way that we tend to think about it. Yeah. So basically, we're using the opportunity cost that we're seeing there, um, which is basically the market. So yeah. we're saying if this, if this, we look at a stock and we say, what is the market implying? Uh, what, what, what is the market saying about this stock's price? Uh to be justified that it will have the same return as the S&P 500 basically. So like, you know, um, given that it has a PE of 25 or whatever, does that mean that the market's saying it has to grow 5% a year, 10% a year, whatever, that sort of thing. That's really what we're doing. We're using the price to figure out the expectations. Yeah. Cool. Um, man, we're just doing rapid fire. With this. This is good. <laughs> and we're going to be doing, I think a podcast a day, every single day for the for next, next couple of weeks or yeah. so. So yeah. we are going to be pumping out a lot of content. So hit that subscribe button. If you are watching us on YouTube, leave us a rating review. If you're listening on iTunes, that helps spread the word. And obviously we love that. Okay. Next question says great content on the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, when will Jeff publish his first investing book? Uh, it's something that I've talked about. 
plenty of times. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been we've kind of talked about. I think we've talked about that for the past couple of years, actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Jeff's thoughts were that he didn't know what he would write about that hasn't already been written, right? Yeah. No, that's true. And and the trade off too is um, that if you're writing things for a book, then you're not writing them to be published right now. And so you know it's kind of figuring out how to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I see the appeal of it, and we know a few people who wrote some uh, books, and you know, uh, I we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Will I be able to do the forward in it? Yeah, we'll see. If there's any publishers out there, reach out to us at bulletbookscompany.com. And somebody asked if we will ever consider doing a full stock case study in a podcast. So I thought, yeah, I actually thought that would be cool to go through, sort of like, so on, you know, like the videos we have, like durability, moat, you know, and then all the way down to appraisal. It'd be kind of cool to do like a long format. I guess appraisal and kind of going through the whole process, yeah. which you and I do like every day yeah. um, for the podcast. So definitely stay tuned for that. I think that would be a lot of fun. And we could just really just appraise it just and have a conversation just like we normally do. Yeah. You know, um, let's see. Somebody asked, what's been the surprisingly hardest aspect of running a fund? Now, I guess to sort of preface that, obviously we're launching a fund on January 1st. Right. We have an RIA, which has been our, I guess, investing vehicle, but I guess it's, it's still same thing. Yeah. So managing um, accounts, what's been the most yes. surprising? Uh, what's you, what do you think about that? Uh, I don't know if it's been surprisingly difficult. The most difficult thing always is uh, finding ideas. Uh, because basically as you have good performance or something, other people, that looks good to everybody else, but uh, you're looking at the portfolio and seeing it getting more expensive. And that's, you know, in terms of if people are wondering what's the stressful part about it or whatever, that's it. It's looking and seeing that you're always trying to have the watch list. Um, Samir Patel of uh, Ask Aladdin Capital wrote about... um, A friend of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, he's been on the podcast. He yeah. has been. Um, Dallas boy. He, he, he uh, wrote about that in a recently quarterly letter uh, where he talked about sort of like having to reload um, the stocks that you're looking at, that you're following your watch list. Yeah. And that's the most difficult part because as you have good performance or whatever, it actually becomes, you're looking ahead you and seeing that the portfolio has become more expensive and you're not having as many good ideas as you had before. And so it's constant kind of struggle that way. Totally. Yeah. yeah. No, I would agree with that. So this was actually really funny. Uh, this one person asked if we could get the phrase like, you know, like SAS. He mm-hmm. said mass, M-A-A-S, mining as a service, yes. trending. Isn't that kind of funny? Uh-huh. I'm, I'm assuming he's yeah, uh, invested, so in, NACO. invested in NACO. Yeah. Um, okay, next question. Um, it says, how do you stay focused without worrying about macro situa- situ- situations? Um, well, I try to limit how much time I spend looking at any of those things, like really severely. I think people may be surprised by how severely we limit that. Mm -hmm. Um, I write about stocks a bunch. I read 10Ks a lot. Um, That's how the day is mostly spent. A lot of screening and like take more not so much screening as keeping track of a watch list and things like that Yeah, um, to find individual stocks. There just is not, I'm not spending time reading newspapers and on Bloomberg and things like that. Right? So what I thought was interesting was you said that you used to read the newspaper every single day. Yeah. And then I forget who you got this from. And what you would do is you would reread all the newspapers on the weekend. Yes. And doing that exercise sort of, led you to believe that all the information was very right. short-term oriented and just yeah. like not even worth it. So yeah. you just kind of like stop reading the newspaper in the morning. Yeah. I, I think that I got that idea from John Neff because I remember reading a book about John Neff and he mentioned that he would uh, read the paper during the week and then also read the um, uh, the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And then also read the Wall Street Journal editions again at the end of the week on the weekends he would read yeah. And uh, I just, yeah, I started doing that and I realized doing that, that, um, 
Yeah, exactly what you said. Yeah. Basically that, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot of it wasn't that informative already by the end of the week. It just wasn't that useful. Yeah. yeah. Now, for everybody that is wondering, and since working right next to mm-hmm. you, you do go to Bloomberg every, you know, to, multiple times throughout the day. I mean, if you're checking prices yeah. and stuff. So and I, I do, you do kind of keep up with the news and what's going on. Yeah. Stuff like and that. That I kind of wish that it didn't have as much news stuff that I have to see just to find stock prices and stuff. But yeah. Yeah. So for you, foreign stocks and things. Yeah. It's hard to find without yeah. getting some news. So another popular question that we've been asked is a brief they want a brief overview on why Sydney Airport is on the watch list because yes. a lot of people have reached out and said that it's not an overlooked stock. Even, right. though, even though it may be an overlooked stock in the United States, oh, worldwide, there's a lot of people sure. that know about the company. Yeah, so we put out an email each week that has overlooked stocks on it. There's 10 overlooked stocks there. You can go to focuscompounding.com and there's a, a box that you can put your email in. Yeah. You'll, you'll get that. So um, basically, we have some objective measures of, of what defines an overlooked stock. Mm-hmm. And Sydney Airport kind of gets in on a technicality, which is that... Um, if you look, even though it has a high market cap, I think it's 20 billion Australian dollars, which would be like 12, 13 billion US or something. I don't know the currency exchange right now. Um, so a big stock uh, that basically it um, has a low enough beta. So it's got a beta less than one and it also has a low enough share turnover. I don't know why that is. If there's yeah. some major shareholders that aren't selling, if people who own it don't tend to trade it that quickly, I don't know. But for whatever reason, it doesn't trade as much as you would expect. It doesn't. Uh, churn its shares and it isn't as uh, tied to the volatility of the market as you would expect for a stock that yeah. big. And I guess they even put that in perspective too. Like, so we were, I guess you did research on uh, the daily journal and you put mm-hmm. it up on the website and every investor listening to this and watching us is like, Oh, the daily journal, how could that be an overlooked stock? Everyone right. goes to the meetings. That's kind of like in the Fintuit community mm-hmm. or like it's on corner Berkshire. And really, I think a lot of people just know it as the company that Charlie Munger is the chairman of. Yeah. But I don't think that they know the actual part of the business. And it is a micro cap. And right. if the beta on it is less than one. And the share turnover is less than one or 100% a year as yeah. well, which by our definition classifies as an overlooked stock. I mean, yeah. no analysts follow the company, you know. So to us, it's an overlooked stock. But I guess to your point about Sydney Airport, even though a lot of people may know about it, the share turnover is still low and the beta is low as well. Yeah, and the fact that it's on Australia and not in the US is a major factor. Outside of like the US, UK, uh, the US, Japan, UK, you have a pretty big drop off in terms of how much attention is being paid to markets. But um, with Sydney Airport, the real reason is that it's attractive on a lot of other things. So it yeah. like checks all the other boxes. We keep it probably over 100 or so. I have a bigger list of like over 100 or so overlooked stocks that I consider. And then the 10 that you're seeing are more the things that check the kinds of boxes that we're interested in. And Sydney Airport, except for the fact it has a ton of debt, I was gonna checks say, every box. I was going to yeah. say the next tweet, somebody responded yeah. to that tweet saying, it's very interesting, like I'm interested to know why, especially mm-hmm. since there's a ton of debt on the company, That's an issue. which um, you guys usually avoid that. Yeah. Then again, it is quite predictable and stable. Yeah, it's very predictable and stable. And also it um, basically, I was um, it, it pretty much lasts it's um, bond maturity so that it has like six or seven years of maturities like uh, evenly spaced out so yeah. it, usually like 10 or 15 percent or so of the debt matures each year um, something along those lines so it, you know it's it's still not what I would like I would rather they were borrowing longer term um, and it's a lot of debt I mean when we say it's high I think it and I mean, they're targeting like as a normal level to keep it at six or seven times yeah. EBITDA, wow. debt EBITDA. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, next question is, is a question on competition, which I thought was good. Okay. It says, when you're looking into a company, do you always look at the competition, even if the company seems stable and is currently a bargain? And then he said, how do you go about looking for competition? Um, and what if the, the competition is not publicly traded? How do you get 
numbers on that business. Yeah, so we don't get the numbers if they're not publicly traded. Probably. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it depends. You can get you can get information on like banks and things if they're not publicly traded because they have a regulator. Um, but usually, for things that don't have a regulator, you won't get the information. You can still find some articles and things, but the most important part is the business model. Yeah. So you can find out their business model and sort of what they do. Um, and that's what we care the most about and what that competition would look like. Um, yeah, I mean, it's something we look at all the time. I mean, there was a spinoff, uh, cars.com, basically, yep. and we yeah. looked at that. And if you remember why we passed on that is because we were worried about the competition from, you know, just how much ad spending and stuff. There I was, was going to say, we others. couldn't remember why they were spending. We, we couldn't figure out why the other uh, companies were spending so much on, like, um, you know, CapEx and ad spending and everything, yeah. and they weren't. Cars.com. Yeah, and it's a real concern. That's, I mean, so at that point, some of their competitors, I think, were spending like huge percentages of their revenue on advertising, which is a big threat that there'll be a ton of competition coming forward when you see that. So yeah, we are, we always look at competitors. Uh, we also look at peers. I mean, sometimes it's not the competition thing. It's, it helps us understand the business if we can look at peers. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you really want to learn about a, a business and I guess the way that management thinks about it and everything, um, we always say go read what five public peers and you mm -hmm. can literally figure out a lot about the business and you should upon doing that you should really figure out what is the better company in that industry so for example if you know company a is you think a better business and it's trading more expensive well maybe that makes sense but maybe yeah. if company a is a better business than company b c d e uh, but it's um you know not trading as high on a valuation basis maybe that's something interesting yeah, to like, look at yeah like sydney airport's a good example of that i mean other airports around the world that are traded uh, aren't competitors really yeah but we would definitely look at them as as peers and see what their valuations are and things like that yeah Got it. Um, next question. He says low margin and high turnover versus high margin and low turnover for long-term sustainability and competitive advantage. What are uh, your thoughts? I mean, we could do like a whole podcast on this particular topic. Um, I think that both are possible. That yeah. it, it depends on the, the industry that you're in and the sort of function that you're performing. But in general, um, higher margins are going to usually be uh, easier. Yeah. Um, you're not going to have a ton of companies survive with the um, uh, high asset turns and low margins, but it does happen. Yeah. Um, and in some industries, you can see there's a real trade-off that way. So like uh, the example I usually give is distributors. People always make the point that like some distributors have very high margins, some distributors have very low margins, but yeah. it's almost perfectly correlated in a sense with asset turns so that they end up having similar returns on capital. So if you're, if you're, um, you're usually doing very quick turns of cheap goods mm -hmm. or very slow turns with uh, higher margins. And, and that's, you know, getting you the same sorts of returns on capital. So, uh, what matters is the return on capital, but, uh, you know, it, it is things like distribution stuff where you're going to sometimes see real leaders in terms of, uh, amount of asset uh -huh. returns. Yeah. Got it. And then the last question for today's on 13Fs. Okay. And uh, it says, do you frequently check out 13Fs? And then somebody else added on to that. If you do look at 13Fs, who are you following and cloning and getting ideas from? Uh, you could probably answer this better than I could. Uh, we do look at 13Fs a bit. Uh, unfortunately, one problem is that we don't have a they don't have a ton of overlook stocks in them. That's yeah. part of the problem. We have to focus on kind of, I'd say, smaller managers and things like that a lot, right? Yeah, and I mean, and even I would say, you know, other microcap managers, mm -hmm. it, they're, they're um, I guess you could say, definition of probably being like an overlooked stock would be yeah. different than ours right. because a lot of the microcaps that we focus on, the share turnover is just, um, you know, it's, it's very small. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's a, I guess it's, it's totally different. But uh, for 13Fs, 
I mean, I think we follow certain managers, but I don't think I ever, you know, am looking and sifting through 13Fs and stuff like that. I mean, we're obviously on Corner Berkshire. We read a lot. You read every single stock that's on there. I read everything in that uh, investment thread. Yeah, On Value Investors Club. A lot of people obviously bring us ideas. I read everything there, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as for actually cloning through ideas, I don't think we actually, and, and cloning investors, I can't think of anybody. Um, you know, let's go. I mean, NACO is no one's been invested in NACO CSVI. I don't think anyone that we would know or no. anyone big yeah. investor would be in those companies. We do read the quarterly letters of you know any like smaller managers. Yeah, and that and that is yeah. you know read Scott Miller's uh, fund letters, Samir Patel's fund letters. Um, you know, obviously all the investors at Willow Oak, Stephen Keel, David Waters, Keith. Uh, for the Bonhoeffer Fund. So I guess what I would recommend is even if they're not 13Fs, and you may actually find better ideas if they don't have to even put a 13F out, right? Yeah, uh, most of the ideas I get are from either blogs. I follow yeah. about 50 blogs or something yeah. I subscribe to. Uh, like you said, I read everything on Corner of Berkshire and Fairfax, the uh, investment ideas thread there. I read everything that comes up on Value Investors. Yeah. But 99 of 100, you know, 99 ideas out of 100 are quick pass usually but yeah. I read everything yeah yeah and those are where we get it more than 13 apps yeah, yeah so I would say really just find in, find managers and I wouldn't worry about the size so they may not need to actually put out a 13 app but just find a manager that kind of fits with your style I would say and, and the, they you like the way that they think and then look for their quarterly letters reach out to them and you know get on their distribution list even if they don't public their letters publicly mm-hmm. a lot of people they have some sort of distribution list obviously everyone's always looking to kind of get their strategy out there so that could be a good way to learn about um, you know different companies and stuff yeah I, I think I've definitely got more ideas from blogs than 13 apps yeah 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 Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Mr. Jeff and myself trying out standing next to each other. Who's <laughs> taller? I mean, I felt like I was slouched in the beginning. We're actually both over six feet tall. So, But um, uh, we are going to be in New York, um, November 11th through the 15th. Reach out to invest at focuscompounding.com. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in. Hit that subscribe button. Thumbs this video up. Leave us a rating and review. Go to focuscompounding.com. Sign up to get a free weekly email from Jeff. And we'll see everybody in the next podcast. Take care. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along.